As the great Samuel Johnson once said, when a man is tired of London, he is tired of life. And in my view, this has never been more true. In these troubled, unique times, finding the pleasure and joy in plain view is critical for us all, from a physical, mental, and of course, well-being perspective. In this brilliant episode, I caught up with award-winning Tom Jones. No, not that one. Author of the best-selling book, Tired of London, Tired of Life, One Thing a Day to Do in London. Now, when Tom found himself bored in our beautiful capital city, he decided to heed Johnson's words and seek out one thing to do each day in London. One thing that would ensure he found his love with the city once more. This grew out of his popular blog he started back in 2008 and has inspired three books, including London, The Weekend Starts Here. Listen in as we discover some wonderful suggestions for this time of year, lockdown or not, as well as some of Tom's favorite places. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. I've got a special offer for you. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that at the end of each interview, we ask our guests to tell us one or two of their favorite places in London that is personal to them and perhaps not everybody knows about. Well, I've now compiled for you 60 of my guests' favorite places in London, and you can get this unique brochure 100% free. Alongside each guest recommendation is a brief quote explaining why they love the place, a lovely picture of it, plus links to the venue and the podcast episode itself so you can check it out in your own time. It's completely free, and all you have to do is go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com on the homepage and click on the red button where it says Guests' Favourite Places in London. Click here for your free copy. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did creating it for you. Keep listening. Best wishes and keep safe. Steve. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today the... um, it's not a London name at all, actually, is it? Tom Jones is very much a Welsh name, but uh, I guess so. T- Tom Jones, you must be well tired of London, tired of life. You're, is the name of the the book you're probably well best known for. One thing a day to do in London, but you're probably better known for having the name Tom Jones. I mean, you must be sick and tired of people saying, "Oh, Tom Jones is not the Tom Jones." Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that. I always like. I mean, this happens to me a lot, obviously, and I always like to point out that the singer who goes by the name Tom Jones. His real name is Tom Woodward, and Tom Jones is a stage name that he used for, uh, after the, the, I think, after the cad in the Henry Fielding novel of the Tom Jones name. Uh, and Tom Woodward never changed his name legally to be Tom Jones, and the Henry Fielding novel was about a fictional character. So actually, I am the real Tom Jones. All these <laughs> other people are just imposters. <laughs> so you haven't got, you haven't got an, an alter ego. Tom Jones is the re- we are talking to the real Tom Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fa- fantastic. So when people search for you afterwards and they come up with Tom Woodward or someone singing the green green grass, hey, hey. they'll they'll know they're on onto the wrong the wrong Tom. Yeah. Well, Tom, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. As we were discussing before we went live, it was a little bit difficult trying to trying to track you down <laughs> i think you got into hiding over covid perhaps i don't know but we're here we are yeah i think uh, i i was i was saying you you know it's a combination of a new baby and quite a intense time at work just made me think like oh i'd love to do this but actually like when have i got time in my week to to do it but thankfully we found time on a no Monday it's funny night. actually because i i think sometimes my ego gets in the way when i approach people and i they uh they don't respond, you know, within a matter of moments, as, as as is our expectation on email nowadays. I think, 
bloody cheek. <laughs> you know, don't they know who I am? You know, I don't think. Well, also, I'm never quite sure of, of how interesting what I've got to say is to people. So, <laughs> I, mean, I felt like you were probably emailing other people, and they may have more interesting stories. Than uh, me, that's but... all. That's also interesting because people often think, "Oh, I've got nothing interesting to say." <laughs> well, when in fact you've written a, a fantastic book. Uh, tired of London, tired of life, which it, it itself is a wonderful book. But notwithstanding that, I'm sure you're a, a very interesting person. You've had a oh, very, cheers, a very, very interesting life. So pick yourself up, you know. Cheers. Give it, yeah. So how are you doing anyway? How's life been treating you during the the COVID period? I, I know you're working from home now. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, working from home, uh, it's been quite nice with a, a nearly one year old baby now to have more time with him, less commute, but equally it's not been good for any of us really has it i mean no. i think this will be recognized as one of the worst years in our lifetime but uh but you know we carry on i'm well at the moment I hope it seems like you are too so yeah touch wood can't complain i can't complain um i was a bit unwell at the beginning of the year and whether that was covid or not who knows but these things are sent to test us and test us it has i mean we were saying before i did all my interviews um in person but now we have to rely on these wonderful tools like uh, God has given us, Squadcast. Big shout out to the boys at Squadcast for creating this wonderful podcasting software. Thanks, guys. Which is, yeah, which is really cool. So tell us a bit about um, what you do, because you presently work for English Heritage, um, promoting... Or, or do you? Uh, yeah, things? no, I do, I do, I do. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, do you give me one of those looks which sort of suggests that all <laughs> things are changing? No, no, I do, and I like working for them. I just, you know, I think I, uh, I, try, you know, one tries to keep work lives and kind of creative lives a little bit separate. So when when they're too mixed, it makes me feel feel a little, little bit uneasy. But no, I do. I work for them. I'm uh, helping them to do their great work, looking after 420 places around the, more than 400 places around the country, which are. Um, fascinating examples of uh, of built heritage in Britain and tell the story of England. We look after everything from the Cenotaph to Stonehenge to Hadrian's Wall via the Iron Bridge in Shropshire and Tintagel Castle. So it certainly keeps me busy. Oh, wow. So although that you no longer actually physically live in London, I think you're back in, is it Stroud you now live in? I live in my hometown, yeah, yeah. There's a, you know only one place better than London that could uh, attract me to live here, and that's Stroud in Gloucestershire. Well worth a visit if ever any of your listeners are in the area. Beautiful part of the world. But you mentioned the Cenotaph and it was one of the places you look after, so you've still got, obviously, strong strong work, uh, personal connections with uh, our wonderful capital city. Yeah, very much. Um, I work there, you know, um, in normal times every week and, and very much enjoy being part of London life. Mm. So the Cenotaph will be coming into play fairly shortly, won't it, for one of our major annual events? Yeah, yeah the Service of National Remembrance, I think, uh, it Sunday the 8th, something like that. Yeah. Um, Is that going to go ahead, do you think? Do you know? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I believe so. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm so not, not part of the these sorts of uh, uh, decisions. You understand? I think that's made by minds greater than ours. Yeah, I think Boris will have something to say about that about seven o'clock this evening, probably. Indeed. Yeah. So um, obviously, history and culture, and looking after our wonderful properties uh, around the country, is, uh, plays a big part in your life. How did you get into? Uh, how is that? been an interest of yours you know when did you first discover you had an interest for culture and history and London in particular yeah I think I, I I've always been a big believer in I think my mind the way my mind works my mind works is that I I like the stories that places tell if you see what I mean some people like to 
to learn about things by reading in books or watching documentaries or listening to excellent podcasts. The way my mind works is that I learn way more about things by actually going there and seeing them than I ever would about reading about them remotely. And I am, um, yeah, it's kind of like my, the way my brain works is perhaps a bit weird because I feel like everything's on a mental map. Like, you know, if, if you meet somebody, you kind of ask, like, where where do you live? And then you place them on a mental map because of that and that sort of thing. So I've always been a, very interested in place and that kind of thing. And I think my my grandparents, or my dad's parents were, were very into interesting places and that kind of thing. And there was there's a charity called the Landmark Trust. I don't know if you know it. No of it. Um, rents out interesting buildings for people to to stay in, and we'd them sort of regularly going on holidays to I don't know islands in the Bristol Channel or castles on the Devon coast or something like that. And um, and that from an early age that kind of instilled me with a love of places and the stories they tell. And then um, I think it was. I went to university up in York, and York is a great city for you know it's great, great kind of fascinating architecture and that sort of thing and buildings and the minster is a very inspiring place um and i happen not to be a christian but i've always always found it very inspiring and so when i whenever i needed to get an essay done i'd i'd go for a wander around the minster and sort of think if they could do all this a thousand years ago i can probably bash out 200 words or no 2000 words on um political philosophy or whatever it was you know so um so that that was good and then when I moved to London, what was that, 2006, I think it was, from my hometown Stroud in Gloucestershire, I um, just, you know, threw myself into it and just really loved it. And I was working in Westminster at that particular time and surrounded by all the great buildings around there. And, um, and you know, on weekends, I lived in a tiny flat up in sort of Hackney Way and uh, it wasn't particularly nice to spend time inside, very hot and stuffy and that kind of thing. So, you know, and I uh, I was single at the time and, and didn't have a lot of money. So on the weekend, I'd just wander out of the door and go and see what I found. And um great thing about London is so much of the excellent stuff to see and do is free or, you know, uh, you know, you can go to places and just uh, prop up the bar with a half of ale or something like that and not have to pay a lot of money and so I, yeah I just really really was enjoying it on that on that front so I, yeah I don't know what bars you were going to we cheap cheap beer in London <laughs> well, I mean yeah <laughs> I had a time my friend John uh, always used to joke that um I could drink uh, half a pint of beer in the same time it took a real man to drink a pint of beer because at a time of like extreme thrift when I was making myself just just by halves to um, half the cost of my beer bill each week, and um, and, and you know, so that was yeah, that was part of my strategy. Yeah, well, it's easy to make them last now because you had to you get chucked out at ten o'clock. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so you you actually came to London on your own, did you, or were you with friends or family down here? So I, I my parents lived in London in the late seventies. Up in my mum taught up in Hornsey, and my dad worked for the BBC as a transmitter engineer. They lived just on the back of Alexandra Palace up there. But they moved... My dad was from around here where where I live now in Gloucestershire and he moved back to run the family business in the early 80s and then... Um, which is a well, now-closed electrical shop. And so, yeah, I'd always had a kind of connection with it because my parents had lived there, but, um, but I did, didn't know anyone. And I think what happened was... It, basically a girl split up with me that's the truth of it and I'd been planning to move to London but I just hadn't sort of get ra- got round to it and um I was doing a sort of miserable uh, temping job and I just thought I've got to make a change here you know so I 
so this girl broke up with me and I was like, got to do something positive. So I think the next weekend I went down to London. I had a few friends from school and friends from university and stuff who were um, who were knocking around and one of them was looking for a flatmate, my friend Graham. And then um, so then I came home and then I think the next week I rang up one of my local MPs and said, would you mind if I come and intern for you for free? Because I was sort of full of the kind of bolshiness of youth and uh and it and it happened that they had a, a a space in their office for somebody who was willing to just do grunt work for free so i moved oh, up and, and and worked for him for a few months and um, oh, how proactive was that which, which mp was that uh he, <laughs> no, he, he, he wasn't is the mp for the cotswolds um all oh, right uh yeah um it, you know uh, not, uh, not nice enough guy, but um, it wasn't a long t- a long term friendship. But he it was not kind of very kind of. And then uh, I think as a result of that, I interned for a bit with John Burko, who was then the speaker of the House of Commons. Did did a bit over a summer for him, and that was yeah, that was then. But Fantastic. by that stage, there was no going back, so I just had to like all in. As fascinating as you obviously found London, and we're going to talk about your book um, in a, in a moment. How did you personally find living in London? Because people often say, obviously, it's a huge city where they don't know what, getting on for nine million people nowadays. Yeah, I, something like that. Depends how you, where you draw the boundary, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, people often say, you know, it's cold. People, you know, they're not very friendly and all that sort of thing. Londoners. How did you find it as a young man coming to London on your own? I mean, I, I loved it. Like, um, but then that's how come I ended up writing a website every day for six and a half years and uh, writing a book about it. I mean, I um, kind of a sort of. I, I love where I grew up. It's it's beautiful, and there's a lot lot of kind of, lucky that there's quite a lot of arts and culture and music going on around here. Um, but uh, you know, London, everything's there. You know, and there's so much going on every single day. And you, I, I, what I really what I really I think needed at that point in my life and really liked and really had capacity for if not money for was just the ability to roll out of work at kind of just before six o'clock and go and do something interesting which is um is is what I would do you know and um and the website ended up being basically something that if you I think it went live every day at 8 30 so i'd write i'd write them all the night before or or a few days you know so tell us so tell us about the website was it was in fact a a blog a blog tired of london tired of life.com it was and which stole this samuel johnson quote that when a man is tired of london he is tired of life Uh, which is how i how i do my introductory podcast if anyone ever checks out the website it's the first (laughs) thing i say so yeah it's another thing we've got in common yeah um, so i stole that but yeah, I should say subsequently, I did some volunteering at uh, Dr. Johnson's house in the city, which is a great place to go um, to kind of repay the debt a little bit. So I um, did feel a bit guilty about that, but um, uh, and um, and just started writing. It was a it was a project. So this was uh, I think October two thousand and eight. I started it, and um, what what happened? I said I moved down in two thousand and six, and it had been a kind of couple of years. And some friends that I'd had in London were already starting to kind of drift away, move to one of them moved to China, I think, one of them moved to Australia, and that kind of thing. And I got to thinking, like, what should I be thinking about my next step? You know, and then I I sort of realised how ridiculous that was when I when I sort of even looked at a you know other books or other people's information about all the things to do in London because there was so much that I hadn't done and uh, uh, but you know you you want to make sure you're getting the best of life in any in any way you can don't you so I, I, I had kind of been thinking should I go and do something else and then I realized no I, I wasn't um 
I wasn't hadn't even scraped the surface of everything there was to do in London. So I I set up this website kind of as a way, just just a personal project. I didn't tell anyone about it to start off with, to to write down things that I might go and do in the future or that I m- might come back to and might interest me. And um and the website thing was a bit, you know, I I hope that people might find that useful as well and I'd really enjoyed lots of other people's websites like Diamond Geezer and Londonist and Ian Visits and those sorts of websites but I, I never thought it would like take off with a read it, readership or something like that um so that was October 2008 and I think January 2008 I did a few and I liked the way it was looking and it, I found it was getting me out of the house to like just go and look for stuff as, as your podcast is hopefully getting you when we're allowed to out of the house to go and meet interesting people and I think January 2009, I made myself a, I decided, well, I like what I'm doing, but I want to set myself a target. So I, so I foolishly set myself the target of writing it every day. And, um, uh, I regretted that a good many times, but I did write it basically every day for six and a half years, apart from breaks for holidays and that kind of thing. Did you set yourself a word target every day or just to get something down on paper? No, just basically a couple of paragraphs, photo and a link. That was really the, the general thing. And, and I'd been reading a lot of blogs at that particular time and it was a, a good time for, for blogs, um, back then. So, so I kind of had a, a few people whose like style I quite liked that I thought I was going, you know, and a bit weren't afraid to be honest about things and that kind of thing. But I also understood, I think what I, what I wanted to do was start a blog, but I didn't want, I didn't want it to be too personal and too kind of navel gazy. You know, I wanted it to be mainly factual, but with a little bit of, a little bit of me thrown into it. So this seemed like a perfect vehicle to do it. So I did, I, I wrote it every day for six and a half years. Six and a half years, good God. And uh, But you weren't visiting somewhere every day for six and a half years, or were you? No, so when I started it off, it had been about places that I wanted to go and see. Uh, so, so a lot of the in two thousand and eight, it was most, it was almost all stuff that I hadn't done, and so I never, I never had made it that I'd had to. I never, I, I couldn't have done it if I'd set myself a target of it being I had to go and see somewhere and write about it. So, um, so, so yeah, it was, it was a mixture of things I had seen. So what I'd do is on the weekend, I'd just go out for a wander, and you know, I might come across, or, or you know, I'd do my research before I went on the wander, and I might come across you know 20 things that day that I that I could write about but then equally I might have other engagements and I might not so I might just you know look for events that are going on that sound interesting that I'd like to go to and uh, and that sort of thing and so were you analyzing your readership as time went on I mean did it did it sort of did you see like a curve and it's go up dramatically yeah it was encouraging I think I was on you know Twitter really started to take off about that time I think and I remember that day. Do you, do you remember the when uh, is it Captain Sully, the film which is about the plane landing in the Hudson? Great and, film. And so I remember that, and I think that was around then, or maybe it was earlier. I don't know. I can't remember. I, let's fact check that afterwards. But anyway, I remember seeing that the first image I saw of of the plane in the Hudson had been posted on a website called Twitter. And I thought, what is this? I don't even know what this is, but I'm joining it today because seems like uh, seems like it's people can just make news themselves and that sort of thing. So yeah, then I got into Twitter and um, and got quite a few followers on there, and um, that was linking to to posts and that sort of thing. And 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 I was get and, and through that I was meeting other bloggers and getting invited to the odd you know glass of warm Chardonnay uh, somewhere and. Um, uh, so that was yeah. So that was quite nice. So so not so it was not only was it getting me out of the house on the weekend, but 
I was making some friends out of it and it was giving me a sense that I was doing something like that other people might have some interest in writing and reading. So that was enough for me. I didn't really have an aim for it or anything like that. I didn't plan to become a writer or to for anyone to, you know, to to publish a book or anything like that. But you must have had the, uh, the, the bug for it after six and a half years. You must have really got into it got into the art of writing I mean what was your process did you did you go out during the day or write in the evening or get up and say I've got to write you know x hundred words by you know my first cup of coffee what was your what was the system so honestly like this is quite embarrassing um it's all right nobody's listening I produce <laughs> I produced the most the most effective and and best like the the most quantity of work that I produced was me sitting down on a Monday night uh, with a glass of whiskey and making myself write a week's podcast. So I'd have all my notes from the weekend, all my photos, uh, no, not podcast, sorry, a week's blog. So I'd have all my notes from the weekend and I'd have photos that I'd taken and I'd, I'd catalogued them in Flickr and that sort of thing. And then I'd sit down with a glass of whiskey. On so a... base, basically you were pissed when you were writing. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't drinking a lot of whiskey, but like it was getting, you know, so yeah, I'd come home from work and it'd be like seven o'clock and then I'd think, right, I can't go to bed until I've written... A week's worth of blogs there. So, um, what was the whiskey? Probably a Talisco or a Jura. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, that would that would inspire most people, <laughs> or, or send them to sleep. One or the other. <laughs> Both great places to visit, I should say. If you, yeah, yeah. I've not way? been there. No, no, I've not been Talisco. No, wonderful. I went nice to Jura whiskey. Folk Festival a few years ago. It was, should have taken place a few weeks ago now, and it, it was sad, sad to see it not happening because of COVID. It was amazing. Like me and my brother pitched up there with a tent. And the whole island kind of filled up with people just having fun for the weekend. And it was yeah, it's a really great place. But anyway. By the, Sounds by the great. Way. No, no. We, we, we die. Um, what's the word? Digress. Digress. But that's what this is all about. So six and a half years later, I mean, at what point did you realise or was there a kernel of an idea that you had a book in this? So I, again, it's kind of the arrogance of youth a little bit. I've been doing it two years, uh, so 2009, well, getting on for two years, the blog, and I'd been away on holiday when my birthday was supposed to be taking place, so I thought, well, I'll throw my blog a second birthday party, um, and I... Um, <laughs> no ego involved there at all. <laughs> and then I... I um, such ego. And then I... Um, so what did I do? I designed up an invitation and uh put it put it on the website um put it on all the listing sites i knew you know um uh, had it at the gallery cafe in bethnal green at st margaret's house settlement which is a great spot and and yeah i put the cafe out for an evening to and sort of bought some bought some wine in and um and that sort of thing and i think uh, somebody offered to do, to play some music for me and i had this this second birthday party for the blog and um, somehow, I, th I believe, and I, 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 I seem to remember her telling me this, but I, if, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Hannah, but um, the editor who published the first um, one, somehow this invitation got to her and she thought, oh, this sounds interesting, I think. And um, uh, she contacted me. So, yeah, it was 20, must have been 2010, I think. I got got an email out of the blue saying, "Have you ever thought about um, making this into a book?" And at the same time, I had I had email like been contact. I was contacted by a couple of I think a few different publishers about it, and um, and I sort of thought, "Oh, that's nice," but I don't really have time, and I don't really know how to write a book, and um, it'd be nice, but 
my grandmother says that nobody makes money any money out of writing and that sort of thing so I didn't um I sort of yeah I, I engaged with it and I went to meet them and things like that but it took quite a while before we could agree what format that that would that book would be so I think it was getting on for a year between the initial email and um and actually agreeing to make it into a book uh, and then yeah I I wrote wrote it I think it was the summer of 2011 something like that and then uh it came out on the 5th of January 2012 which was you know I mean part of the reason clearly that um Virgin Books, which is part of Ebury and Penguin Random House, had been looking for London books, was that the Olympics were coming up. Um, so it was out on the 5th of January 2012, which was a huge year for London. And it was kind of square and red, white and blue on the cover and beautiful um, illustrations from Hannah Warren. Yeah, yeah, just just really brought it to life. And, um, and it sat quite nicely at the front of Waterstones on the table there. Um, uh, in amongst all the other stuff about the London 2012 Olympics. How amazing seem to for pick you. It up I bet, and, I bet you couldn't it, believe so. it. There's your book, Sat in Waterstone. I mean, it's a, as you say, it's a beautiful looking book. It's square. I've got the square hard. Is it just hard? Um, yeah, it's only hard, ever been hard copy. Yeah, hard yeah. copy version. But it is beautiful in red, white and blue. And it does stand out a mile from what I mean, there's any number of books on London you can you can care to choose some if you go to Waterstones or Foils and go to the London section there's, there's dozens of them but this one does stand out beautifully yeah it's great so how did you go from six and a half years of material which presumably was ad hoc sort of all over the place this is seasonal because this this as the book implies is uh, well you know one thing a day to do in London you actually take us from January the 1st right through to uh, December the 31st how do you how did you get to that situation whereby you've got everything in order it's interesting when when we when we came to an agreement and i decided that i was going to write a book i felt like i had a loyalty to my blogs readers because i'd there've been a couple of blogs at the time not necessarily london ones but websites where i'd read where like they'd done a book and it'd just been the website printed out if you see what I mean. And I really didn't want to do that. So I kind of, I, I went out and did a lot more research, did a lot more going to places and that, that sort of thing. So for the short period that I was writing this, I, it was my, it was my one job. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything else. Um, so I went out and, and collected together more, more like did as much research sort of wandering around and, um, uh, and looking and that sort of thing as, as I could. And then revisited where I had done things on the blog. I revisited the text and tried to, put more facts in and make it more interesting um and then i i kind of um i basically had i think it was a three sheets of paper with the year you know so 12 with with a month worth of entries on it and and so there were some things there were some days like christmas day when there are only certain things you can do so and i've got you know, I, I've always been interested in the the pattern of the year and the way it works. And there's a great book called The English Year by Steve Roud, um, uh, which, you know, talks about the meaning of each day and that sort of thing. So so that gives you a, a lot of um, a lot of different things. That what's you can it, what's do. his name? The author, Steve? Steve Roud is R-O-U-D. He's a, one of the greatest folklorists of, the, of his age. And then, you know, you had to think about like what you would do, what you do in, I love thinking about, you know, different places in terms of what you do at different times of the year. So what you would do on the, say, you know, April, Easter, May rolls round, you know, you're out in the park in London with your friends, you're lying on the grass again, you're having a lovely time. But then this time of year, 
October, suddenly, like, if, if you don't have a blanket to lie on or something like that, you can't lie on the grass anymore. You might be sat on the bench and then, you know, in another month, you'd be having to wear a really warm coat. And then, you know, um, it's a practical book as, as well as, uh, informational because you have, as you say, broken it down into months and sort of days as well. So you can actually see what works. If you're visiting London, you can see what works at a particular time of year, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, that's it. I tried to kind of slot, yeah, I was sort of slot the things in according to what when I thought they were good to do, and then disregard things that didn't have a particular time of year and, and that sort of thing. Let's take a very quick break just to remind you: if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger. Just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. Let's have a little. I know it's probably been a while since you've had a look at it, <laughs> but you did write it in fairness a few years back. But obviously, it's it, it's still predominantly valid today. But we we have to give the listeners a, a big big caveat because obviously. With COVID amongst us and lockdown and things being closed and partially closed and rules of six and chucking out times and all the rest of it, things may or may not be open. So whatever we talk about and whatever ever is referenced in the book may not actually be correct at the time of publication of this um, this podcast. So please do check these things out for yourself, folks. But the vast majority of things here are still around, are still are still open in the, in the larger sense of the word. I was just, I, I thought we'd just start off by looking at the month of October. Mm. That, that's where we are. It's an important month, not least because it's my mum's 80th uh, on Wednesday. Um, there's some wonderful, in fact, one of the first things I saw was October the 13th. And this, this appeared on the news, on the local news a couple of days ago. I don't know if you saw. This is the um, go. You say go to watch the deer right at Richmond Park, but not too, crucially, not too closely. Not too closely. Now. Yeah, I mean that that is something which isn't going to close down because of COVID. Because <laughs> the, the deers will get excited this time of year. There's not a lot you can do about it. Well, that's it. Um, you see, every year you see the most amazing photography from people with you know great long lenses of the deer in Richmond Park and they make the national papers and they make, you know, everything. And it's, I mean, Richmond Park's one of those places that like in the middle of it, you're not in the city really, you know, it's as wild as anywhere, you know, so that, and that's, that's part of the kind of philosophy behind this book. You know, there's a, there's a herd, of, herd of deer there, you, you know, that, these are kind of wild animals. I know, unless you're familiar with it, to understand that there's like over 300 deer that have been there for, for centuries. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, if you're a tourist flying in on the, you know, fl- flying in to, and then staying in the centre of town, something like that, you might you might have no idea that you know, there that's the kind of thing. If you went on holiday, Steve, to you know, I don't know, Rome or something like that, and someone said, oh, there's a herd of wild boar in the park just on the edge of the city, you can go and watch them. You'd be like, that's amazing. Like, let's get let's get there, you know. But because it's it's always been part of our London existence, you can sort of take these things for granted. But then when you go down there, it's it's a, a beautiful sight. It, it is beautiful. And as we say, this time of year, they are rutting, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is in itself <laughs> an experience if you haven't uh, seen that. So so that sort of uh, jumped out at me, flicking through October. And then on the 18th of October, um, you say, take a walk along the Thames path. Now, anyone who hasn't... The, the, the Thames, as you can imagine, through the vast majority or a large proportion of my podcast 
chats with people. The Thames has played such a key role in the life of London and Londoners. It is just staggering. It, t- it takes me back to my school days when I read um, for, I can't remember, O or A-level, Our Mutual Friend, Dickens, Our Mutual Friend, which is all the theme of the Thames flowing through and all the sort of symbolism of the Thames. And I never appreciated that until I started to talk to people and, you know, how, how the Thames plays such an integral part in people's lives and the history of London as well. So taking a walk along the Thames path, tell me a little bit about your experience of, of the Thames. I lived in, in Greenwich and Blackheath for quite a lot of my London life. Um, and the house I lived in in Greenwich, lucky enough, renting a, a, a little room in, just up from, do you know, the Cutty Sark pub? Uh, and so you could walk to the Thames in... About three minutes if you had a pace down there. Um, it was a bit of a weird house. It was it was great. So, I mean, yeah. So, you know, I think I said earlier that a lot of my research for this and my London life was just to set out on foot and just see where I ended up effectively, you know, or, or look at the A to Z and see where there was a gap in my knowledge and head to that kind of place and have a wander around. And obviously any walk in London, really, you're going to encounter the Thames at some point if you if you walk far enough. Those autumnal days by the Thames, you know, you see more, it feels like you're more in connection with a nature, I guess, you know, if, you, if you're down by the Thames. Like there are parts, you know, if you're in the city or, um, or you know, uh, more built up places where, where, where there aren't even the plane trees and that kind of thing, you can, you can lose track of, of the seasons. But when you're down by the Thames, you know you feel connected with nature the tide is coming in and going out and um and you know there's a lot more nature there a lot more animals and that kind of thing so so yeah i, I i've had many autumnal days wandering by the thames and it's 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 quite special um place well, to be well, ironically as luck would have it one of my if not my very first guest i think possibly was a, a wonderful mudlarker called jason sandy who's uh, an American who now lives in London for, for many years with his lovely wife. Um, and he's, a, he's an architect based in London, designing wonderful properties. But in his spare time, he goes mudlarking on the Thames. And he's one of the foremost mudlarkers, you know, in, in, the, in the city. Once you get down there onto the foreshore as well, you really get, you really feel kind of connected, not only with the seasons, but with the history of London, Absolutely. you know, finding bits of bones. And uh, my, a friend of mine, Jane Parker, um, makes jewellery from old, she's a mudlarker as well, and she finds old old sections of clay pipe and she made makes jewellery from them and uh, it's wonderful stuff. Well, it's funny you say that. He He's collected over the years many, many garnets, the tiny, tiny little garnets, which they found in abundance on the sh- on the foreshore there. And the day I interviewed him in his home, when he's got this like little museum of all the things he's collected over the years, um, he had, as a surprise for his young daughter, had all the garnets sent over to a specialist jeweller in America. And the day I got there, they, they'd come back. They just arrived by special delivery made into pieces of jewellery for his daughter as a special surprise. So all these pieces, all these garnets found on the shore. So they polished them up, had they? They'd all been polished and made into beautiful pieces of jewellery. It was just such a wonderful thing. And I I had the pleasure of uh, joining him one day on the Thames, around about, I don't know, probably this time last year, actually. And we had such, I had such a great day. It's just so amazing, the sort of things he finds. You should check him out. He's got a huge following on social media, on Instagram. Yeah, check him out. Uh, Jason Sandy, check him out. So the Thames Path it, it, it is amazing. The River Thames is wonderful, wonderful walks. And as you say here, the full path stretches 180 miles from the barrier right to Gloucestershire. So um, not not a million miles away from where, you, <laughs> yeah. where you're sat, I guess. Yeah, 100 miles due west. Um, yeah, 100 miles yeah, and due I west. Think- 
So this is an example of how I tried to make it uh, a bit about the year as well, because this entry notes that it's St. Luke's Little Summer. And we learn that, um, you know, for centuries, there's a, a period around St. Luke's Day, which is about the 16th, where you'd basically get a little pip of of the end of summer. And I remember one particular day around that time um, when I was living up on Blackheath. And for some reason, I didn't have work that for a couple of days. I can't remember quite where it was. Uh, walking down through Greenwich Park when the kind of it, it was summery but because of all the dew in the autumn the the mist was lifting off the river and off the, off the bottom of the park just it was a, a beautiful morning just sat there watching it go up so I think that's kind of what inspired that and then I had a wonderful uh, walk along the river yeah it's it's stunning one of my favorite things to do is walk along the river south south bank I love the south bank walk as well yeah, yeah. um so I just picked out those couple from October. I don't think there's anything um, you want to talk about in October, or as I got a few in November, I thought as we're as yeah far away, it. yeah. I, um... So if we just jump to November, because obviously I was mindful of picking out some things that people could do, irrespective of lockdown. What do we got here? So we have uh, the V&A. Obviously, the V&A is still presently open, and you've got this on the eighth of November. The, oh, yeah. the cast courts at the V&A? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I find the cast... I was thinking about the cast courts the other day, actually, because these are like... This is, I'm um, telepathic. <laughs> <laughs> but this is... I mean, I don't know if, if you're familiar with the cast courts, but I'm they're not. amazing. I'm like, not. So it's kind of an example... We hear a lot about how people went around the world in the kind of Victorian period and stole other people's uh, heritage and brought it back to London. And what I love about the cast courts is it was people going around the world and making plaster casts of amazing pieces of uh heritage and, and uh architecture and that kind of thing and bringing them back so they were just copying them and now there's kind of a version of all these different things in the cast courts in uh in the vna museum which are well worth a visit you wandering around just just in it's kind of packed another place i really love is the sewn museum which i gather is just reopened on uh, i think reopened on the first of october with, uh-huh. with limited tickets and that's an example of just everything just kind of pushed in and just like you feel like you're surrounded by by amazing things in there and the cast courts are a bit like that i think you know there's just everything kind of packed in up against each other and you feel like yeah this is just a collection uh, I, I, I love I, those I've museums not... where it's kind of a collection of weird things that people just find absolutely well the v or victoria now but for those uh, uninitiated museum is a wonderful museum stunning museum uh, i've not been for many years many many years um, but the cast courts certainly looks something worth going to visit. Uh, and then moving on to your entry on the 12th of November, we're, we're moving out into more the suburbs of London. Uh, Rice, you call it Ricelip Woods. Now, I, I, I love during lockdown, my wife and I would go for a walk every day through a local sort of wooded area just near us called Arundine, uh, which is an open space in northwest London. I've not been to Ricelip Woods, so it, I had a quick look on the internet. It looks looks wonderful tell us a bit about that it's a bit of what we're talking about with um richmond park you know just these huge areas of green space that we're so lucky to have um within easy easy reach of the center of london and uh, what i tried to do with this book and and the other one i wrote about london was to set my boundary at the m25 and explore everything i could within them and that kind of thing and i i grew up on basically on the edge of a wood where you know you could really watch the seasons change and you know people are always amazed that uh, leaves stay on the trees right in you know it's it's mid-october now as we're talking to each other and they're 
colors are only just turning and then in, into november you still have leaves you still have the color on the trees you still have leaves on the trees and it usually takes a big storm in mid to late november to get rid of all these um trees so ricelet woods a, a great area of um of woodland just to go and explore and have a run around and take the kids or the dog or whatever um and kick through the leaves and uh, and enjoy that kind of autumn color ju- just just at, at its last so that's why i chose that particular one i love woods it's one i'll have to go and pay a visit isn't there a beach uh, Lido at uh, Ryslip as well. Yeah, there is. Yeah, not far. Bizarrely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very odd. So, what else have we got in November that I've I've highlighted here? I've, I've also, by complete contrast, twentieth uh, of November, eat pie and mash at F Cook, <laughs> Broad Broadway Market. Oh yeah, I haven't been up there recently. Uh, this is quite a while ago. I'd love it if some of your listeners could tell me whether F Cook's still still open up at Broadway Market. There's been a lot of change up there. But... I I don't know, but pie, pie eel oh, just doesn't doesn't appeal to me. Have you ever tried it? It's not. I messed a bit. It, jelly deals are not really my. You know, this is how I prove myself as a non-Londoner because um, I'm from the West Country, understand. Um, yeah, it's not really my cup of tea. But great that there are still these places, you know, like Goddard's in Greenwich and that sort of thing where you can still experience NF Cooks, um, where you can still experience these these London delicacies. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a great traditional cafe that I uh, was on the podcast, Pelini's. Pelici's. Uh, Pelici's, big yeah, yeah. Pelici's, yeah. Bethnal Green, yeah, um, wonderful. Bethnal Green, yeah. And it's if you've been to Terry's as well, and a Great Suffolk Street, I used to live no, just around the haven't. corner from Terry's, and Austin runs that, and it's kind of a, yeah, I think it, Terry was his dad, and it's a great sort of greasy spoon cafe, and he's got a lot of character about it. Yeah. And then we move on to uh, some more quirky, I mean, obviously we can't, we can spend, there's 365 entries here, so I'm just picking out a few fascinating ones for this time of year. Uh, December the 4th, and I only came across this one very recently, and this is the second time I've read about it, your um, your Find the Sewer Gas Lamp <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, on Carting Lane, uh, nicknamed Farting, Farting Yeah, Lane, that's it. Which always makes me uh, titter and Twitter. <laughs> Tell us about Farting Lane's gas lamp. Um, it's a, a gas lamp which brings up the. It's designed in a way that brings up the gases from the. Um, you know there are a lot of g- gas lamps around there anyway, but this one brings up the gases from the sewer below. Um, so it's like the old soil stack pipe you get a in bit there. Wary about this, and I can never remember whether it is actually true or not. Um, no, it is true. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it is true. If it's not, you're about the third or fourth person I've heard recently um, to talk about it. I think the yeah I think the thing is that it like combines with proper gas as well you know um uh, so it, it vents it up and then it combines with you know it has a but I'm not quite sure um no is it connected to all the London sewers the Victorian sewers yeah exactly they had, they, a friend of mine a... Matt Brown um who is editor at large at Londonist has written a book Every, everything you think you knew about London is wrong don't know if you've ah, heard of it but, that's um, him I have I think I've even got it on my bookshelf somewhere yeah. <laughs> okay so I'm always a bit wary like when it comes to these sorts of legends because I've always believed that you shouldn't let the truth get in the way of a good story no, so, no. you know I always word things carefully which um makes well hopefully this entry doesn't appear in his book (laughs) (laughs) i think no i think it it vents the gases but i think you know there might be other other mechanisms involved as well so other 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 myths in there a wonderful thing to do and i really really don't know that this is going to be valid for this year is going ice skating at somerset house and that that is a a stunning thing to do if you can it really Uh, is it really is i feel like i've seen Greenwich, the Old Royal Naval College at Greenwich promoting their um, ice rinks this year, not on a pre-book basis, but 
I'd encourage your listeners to look that up because we just don't know what's going to be running this year and what's not really, you know. And... No, we really haven't got a clue. I mean, they're just a few that I picked out at random, sort of going forward from uh, now to the end of the year. Some inside, most outside, for obvious reasons. Is there anything generally in the book you'd like to draw attention to that are particularly interesting to you? Or well, yeah, I, I mean, when I when I was preparing for this, I just wrote things that you know. So I've written two books on London. I wrote every day for six and a half years, so I can't actually remember like whether the things I've put, I, I've thought that i wanted to tell you about or in that book or another it book it doesn't or, matter it really doesn't buy matter. them all <laughs> so. yeah, buy, buy them all. Well, you give a shout out to the books at the end so what else have you got in mind then well i just uh so we talked to about the sir john soane museum which is just an amazing place to go and um, it's you know it was his house and he feel you know it must have his wife must have been in uh in in tears sometimes because he just used to fill fill the house with with everything and anything he had, and I think he's got an Egyptian sarcophagus there, which he he brought home and held a party when he opened it, and uh, and just the most amazing things, all all packed into every last space in the Sir John Soane Museum. So I'm sure you've been. Um, if you haven't, um, you should a long definitely time ago. go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it has reopened on the first of October for free, so it's a it's a it's a great spot spot to be. Um, and uh, what else? Was there? Well, I mean. We've, we've mentioned the old Royal Naval College at Greenwich, but really, truly that's um, one of my uh, my favourite places. Like, wandering around there in, in the moonlight is a particular love of mine. And um, indeed, I, I had my first date with my wife. We met at the old Royal Naval College and walked walked across there in the moonlight. And dear reader, I married her. So um, so uh, it, it, that's a pretty special place. And, you know, I love Greenwich. And I think, you know, when I... When I um, First moved to London, I was living up kind of Hackney, Shoreditch kind of way uh, with my friend and we had Zone 1 and 2 travel card. And so we used to, on a Thursday night after work, we'd play a game where we could see how far we could get on the Zone 1 and 2 travel card without paying. So we'd we'd get down to, to we'd catch the, the DLR down to Greenwich and have, you know, pie and mash or fish and chips by the, the river down there. And it was lovely. And then I ended up later... Uh, living down there and having some lovely time so like my ideal day out, i think is to catch the thames clipper down to greenwich and you know have a pint at the cutty sark pub there and have a wander around the old royal naval college and walk up through greenwich park that's like something that that's every heaven. listener to the your london <laughs> yeah. legacy podcast should do i think but i always used to say i mean you know this book's been out a few years now and i used to do uh, talks about this and i used to say like you know, it happened that I started a website where I wrote down what I thought was nice things to do in London and that, that it happened that with a fair wind behind me, I made that into a book. But I don't ever pretend to be like some great London expert. I really think that um, everyone has their own London and Steve, your London will be completely different to my London. Oh, sure. But uh, that, that's what's great about this particular book because, you know, it's, you're not pretending to be, you know, the last word in you know london historians but you, you've you've captured something interesting each and every entry entry is interesting you know contemporary historical fun you know less that's fun kind of you to say no it's, it's really and, um, good yeah and i we, alongside doing this i used to run a thing in london um called talking to strangers which was uh, on a thursday night above a pub in in central london i used to get together people 
um, from all backgrounds via meetup as was then and we'd we'd just sit around in the pub and we'd have chats about different things and I'd I'd give people some thought-provoking questions they might talk about and that kind of thing and then we'd move right, a bit like speed dating but I made it very clear it wasn't dating it was just for the love of conversation and so people could you know get together and have a chat and stuff and and this particular period the covid pandemic and that kind of thing makes me feel so sad that things like, like those kind of organic conversations just can't except in an, in a kind of online environment like this can't really take place because you can't really just strike up a conversation with someone in a pub at the moment because you have to stay two meters away from them and you have to pre-book and you have to do all this nonsense so i you really need one, hope of those, that... need one of those pubs or restaurants where you, you you phone you know they've all got phones on the table and you can you can remember those <laughs> exactly. you, you could buzz, buzz a table and yeah. have a chat with them it's 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 weird it's a very strange world and uh we'll look back on this in a couple of years time and this will be an, an entry in the the history books no doubt. i very much hope so yeah be very interesting consign it to history forever yeah ab- absolutely any more before we start to wrap up no i was saying in december 16th of december we've got um dennis sever's house which um oh yeah of, which a lot of people recommend i i confess it's another one of those places i've not been to but at christmas i understand they do make a big deal of it it's beautiful yeah so dennis sever's house dennis sever's was great i sort of volunteer around the corner at 19 princelet street which is another of one of these kind of ugino built townhouses and 19 princelet street has a had a synagogue on the back and it's since become a museum of immigration and diversity but dennis sever's house dennis sever's was kind of this eccentric that decided to do up the house but keep it you know make it an immersive experience for want of a better phrase so you go into each room and it's it's kind of set out um as if the family that were in there at a different period in history have just left and uh and you know at christmas time it's all you know the smells and the food on the table and that kind of thing is all kind of christmasy and it's just the most amazing thing there's a, a a real cat that hangs out there and it's um you know it, it does it, you could kid yourself that you've just stepped into history a certain period in history and that sort of thing and it, it the attention to detail is just so amazing like i uh i'm a bit of a like nosy parker and a bit of a nerd when it comes to these things and i've seen the the room steward is in there most of whom i think are volunteers like going and taking out a, a pre-cut candle um from a drawer and uh, and lighting it so that it just looks like that candle's burned all the way down to its particular place and they you know you there's food, real food in there that's freshly baked and you know a cat that you get close up to thinking that um that it's a stuffed cat and then it moves and that sort of thing and it's and you know where it is in spitalfield you can hear the bells of uh Christchurch spitalfield still and you can you can uh, by being there you can imagine what london might have been like back then when effectively there were kind of fields around there and these houses were quite new build in in um in what had been the the fields surrounding St Mary's Spittal so yeah I mean it's just yeah it's it's just um something amazing and and it, it, but but all done on the whim of a of one guy who just really wanted to create this thing and kind of kept alive since then so it sounds wonderful and it's um like many many of the uh 
the places to visit and see in this book I haven't yet got round to to visiting, which I'm ashamed to say, having lived in London all my, all my life. Uh, but that just goes to prove that you can never be tired of London because there's so much to see and do. Yeah, and there will be, you know, scores, hundreds of places that you could recommend to me, which I have, have never been to or heard of. And, I'm, and all of your listeners the same. I think it's just... Uh, you know, that's all you can ever do, right? These things about the places that you have liked and seen and hope that other people will do the same and that we can all get the best out of London if we want to. Yeah. So as with all my guests at this time of our conversation, I always ask them to mention a couple of places in London that are special to them. Now, you may you may have mentioned it already, maybe the Moonlight at... Oh, yeah, um, I think I went a bit <laughs> was, early on this. <laughs> <laughs> have you done them? I mean, I mentioned wandering through the Oldwood Naval College in the moonlight. You know, I used to, I used to really love. Um, so I used to live not far from the um, the Cutty Sark pub in Greenwich, and I used to love going down there and just sitting on the wall, having a pint, and watching the the boats go by. And and I remember, you know, um, yeah, when the tall ships come in and stuff, and they had fireworks. Those are particularly special special nights. So watch out for that hopefully next time it happens i love living around borough there's a great pub in borough called the lord clyde which i really recommend it's kind of a family run pub and it's it's a really really special uh place to me and i think um a lot of your listeners will be enjoying uh more of london by bicycle at the moment because um you know they want to get out and about so i you know i really recommend cycling up the river lee as a as a, a, many people will have done but you you know you see some amazing things as you carry on out and you feel like you're really getting out of london and also um though i would never do this and under, you understand cycling back across blackheath in the moonlight after one too many glasses of wine i would never you'd, do you'd that you'd never Steve, do that there seems to be a common thread going on <laughs> But um, but yeah, no, I think um, uh, those are particular recommendations of mine. And I think like few people know that, I mean, in normal circumstances, we can't do it. You understand at the moment that um, you can just write to your local MP and they'll get you a tour of the House of uh, Commons as well, you know, for free. And that's something that you can do or, or ask them if you just want to go and see any old debate. You can just go in there. You can go in there anyway. But if you get your MP to vouch for you, you get seats in a different area and that kind of thing and I think it's um that's something that so many of us haven't done but it really like you see it on telly every day and it really is quite an amazing building to go and knock around you've got the Westminster Hall built in the 11th I think 11th century by William Rufus the son of William the Conqueror and when you you know and at the time it was built it was the largest single span wooden roof in the world and, and you really feel that as you walk up through and then walk into the kind of victorian palace in in the in central lobby you can see the the four saints above the different doors and that kind of thing and it all richly yeah, kind of decorated it's it really stunning and you just come across people in there who 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 you, you've seen on the telly as well not that i'm that into celebrities but like you know it's a it's amazing that it is a kind of working place so. if you want to call politicians celebrities <laughs> <laughs> some of them are well i, I think suppose... the first time i went i, I I ran into Melvin Bragg, so because uh, ah, he's okay. in the Lords, of course, you know. Yes. Uh, that's and, uh, true. And, yeah. and other Braggs, I've run into Billy Bragg there as well. And um, so there we go. You know, I don't think he's a Lord yet, is he? No, no, he was quite <laughs> odd. He, when I ran into him, he was shaking hands with David Davis, the Tory MP. Like, what's going on there? But never mind. And you know, a lot of the things I like, like I like kind of places where you're all kind of packed in with uh, people and that kind of thing. And you can't do a, a lot of that at the moment. So, no. you know, more's the pity. Well, it's been uh, great chatting to you. Um, and it's, you. It's, 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 a, it's a wonderful book. 
Um, it's called Tired of London, Tired of Life. Uh, one thing a day to do in London from January the 1st through to December the 31st. I thoroughly recommend all the listeners to go out and grab themselves a copy, uh, a hard copy, not the online, I don't know if there's an online version, but the hard copy, all good bookshops. Website's still there as well, but yeah. Webs, webs, oh, so how can people find you then? Yeah, if they want to get uh, well, I, I haven't written the website for five years now, but it's all still there at tiredoflondontiredoflife.com. Um, the book is, I'd say, easier to navigate. And, you know, anyone who tells you that you should write a book to make your fortune is not is not telling the truth. It doesn't make, you know, uh, only a few pennies. So it's more like if you want to do it, that like, encourage people to buy it. But, but yeah, and there's, an, there's another one, London, the weekend start here, which is just sort of arranged by themed kind of weekends and that kind of thing, which is just as good and just as much effort went into it. Well, we didn't have time to go into that one, I'm afraid. But uh, <laughs> maybe next time we get together online, we'll have a chat about that one. Thanks, mate. Um, Thank you ever so much for your time, because I know you're a busy guy and the young young family. So I'll let you go and enjoy them and uh, keep safe. Cheers. Thank you for inviting me. This has been lovely. I absolutely love creating your London legacy for you, and the feedback and testimonials are awesome. But as it grows, so it consumes more and more resources. So I've joined forces with Patreon, a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as $2 a month as a silver Londoner right up to $300 per month where you get the crown jewels. Each level of subscription opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows and sponsorship opportunities only available via, via Patreon. I do hope you'll continue to support what we're doing here and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. So please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. That's www.patreon.com patreon.com forward slash your London legacy.